Thank you for listening to this recording of Family Bible Church's Sunday morning message. We pray that God will use this word to bless and encourage you. Amen. Would you take out your Bibles now and open them up to Acts chapter 21. Last week we left Paul off in Caesarea, and we'll pick him up uh, there at the end of his time in Caesarea, and uh, we'll pick up there for in verse 15 of chapter 21, and I'll be reading the rest of chapter 21 and all the way down to verse 24 in the next chapter. And after those days, we packed and went up to Jerusalem. Also, some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us and brought with them a certain nascent of Cyprus, an early disciple, with whom we were to lodge. And when we had come to Jerusalem, the brethren received us gladly. On the following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. When he had greeted them, he told in detail those things which God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified the Lord. And they said to him, You see, brother, how many myriads of Jews there are who have believed, and they are all zealous for the law. But they have been informed about you that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, saying that they ought not to circumcise their children, nor to walk according to the customs. What then? The assembly must certainly meet, for they will hear that you have come. Therefore, do what we tell you. We have four men who have taken a vow. Take them and be purified with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads and that all may know that those things of which they were informed concerning you are nothing, but that you yourself also walk orderly and keep the law. But concerning the Gentiles who believe, we have written and decided that they should observe no such thing except that they should keep themselves from things offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, and from sexual immorality. Then Paul took the men, and the next day, having been purified with them, entered the temple to announce the expiration of the days of purification, at which time an offering should be made for each one of them. Now when the seven days were almost ended, The Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, help! This is the man who teaches all men everywhere against the people, the law, and this place. And furthermore, he also brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. For they had previously seen Trophimus the Ephesian with him in the city, whom they supposed that Paul had brought into the temple. And all the city was disturbed, and the people ran together, seized Paul, and dragged him out of the temple, and immediately the doors were shut. Now as they were seeking to kill him, news came to the commander of the garrison that all Jerusalem was in an uproar. He immediately took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. And when they saw the commander and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. Then the commander came near and took him and commanded him to be bound with two chains, and he asked who he was and what he had done. And some among the multitude cried one thing and some another. So when he could not ascertain the truth because of the tumult, he commanded him to be taken into the barracks. When he reached the stairs, he had to be carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the mob. For the multitude of the people followed after, crying out, Away with him! Then as Paul was about to be led into the barracks, he said to the commander, May I speak to you? He replied, Can you speak Greek? Are you not the Egyptian who some time ago stirred up a rebellion and led the 4,000 assassins out into the wilderness? But Paul said, I am a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no mean city, and I implore you, permit me to speak to the people. So when he had given him permission, Paul stood on the stairs and motioned with his hand to the people. And when there was a great silence, he spoke to them in the Hebrew language, saying, Brethren and fathers, hear my defense before you now. And when they heard that he had spoke to them in the Hebrew language, they kept all the more silent. Then he said, I am indeed a Jew, 
born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, taught according to the strictness of our father's law, and was zealous toward God as you are all today, as you all are today. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women, as also the high priest bears me witness, and all the council of the elders, from whom I also received letters to the brethren, and went to Damascus to bring in chains even those who were there to Jerusalem to be punished. Now it happened, as I journeyed and came near Damascus at about noon, suddenly a great light from heaven shone around me, and I fell in, and I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. And those who were with me indeed saw the light and were afraid, but they did not hear the voice of him who spoke to me. So I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, Arise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all things which are appointed for you to do. And since I could not see for the glory of that light, being led by the hand of those who were with me, I came into Damascus. Then a certain Ananias, a devout man according to the law, having a good testimony with all the Jews who dwelt there, came to me, and he stood and said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that same hour I looked up at him. Then he said, The God of our fathers has chosen you, that you should know his will, and see the just one, and hear the voice of his mouth. For you will be his witness to all men of what you have seen and heard. And now why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized, and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Now it happened when I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple that I was in a trance and saw him saying to me, Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, for they will not receive your testimony concerning me. So I said, Lord, they, they, they know that in every synagogue I imprisoned and beat those who believe on you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I also was standing by consenting to his death and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. Then he said to me, Depart, for I will send you far from here to the Gentiles. And they listened to him until this word. And then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he is not fit to live. Then as they carried out, as they cried out and tore off their clothes and threw dust into the air, the commander ordered him to be brought into the barracks and said that he should be examined under scourging so that we, so that he might know why they shouted so against him. And may the Lord add his blessing to the reading from his word this morning. You may be seated. The book of Acts. We have been studying the book of Acts now for months, okay? And we have considered this as an exegetical study regarding the unveiling of the mystery, okay? And so, just to go back real quick on the mystery, what is the mystery? The mystery is the church. And prior to the book of Acts, we were studying the book of Ephesians, Paul's letter to the church of Ephesus, right? And in that, Paul declares the mystery and how he was given revelation according to the mystery, and that the mystery is the church, but that Specifically, that in Christ Jesus, both Jews and Gentiles will be brought together as one new man, and that the middle wall partition was going to be broken down. And so physically, the middle wall partition is this wall that's here that separates the court of the Gentiles from the temple proper. This is the court of the women, and then inside you have the court of the men or the priests, and that's where they go, and then literally you have then the the temple proper itself, and then inside that, that's even divided, so you get into the Holy of Holies way down in, okay? But the Gentiles were allowed onto the temple court, but they were not allowed past that middle wall of partition. That middle wall of partition, if you would, represented, symbolized the law. The law was that which separated the Jews from the Gentiles. That's why it's important when we read in Acts 15, remember when we got to the, the the Jerusalem Council, and is even reiterated in what we saw today by James, 
And that is that the Gentiles don't need to keep the law. They only had certain things that they, and now it goes back to the Noahic, Noahic law, that certain things that they had to observe. But the Jews, it never says anything about the Jews. The Jews were to continue to try to be good, obedient, observant Jews. And so, but we have this, this concept of then the church, okay, which was going to be uh, brought together from the New Covenant, Jesus in the, the, the Last Supper, um, do this in remembrance of me, was all about establishing the new covenant, okay, that was in his blood. And so we read about that in Jeremiah 31, the new covenant, okay? And so in the new covenant, Jews and Gentiles are brought together into what we refer to as the church. So it all begins in Jerusalem. Jesus ascends, and he tells his disciples, his apostles, to wait until they receive the Holy Spirit. So they wait in Jerusalem in prayer, praying in an upper room, waiting for the fulfillment of that moment. The Holy Spirit comes upon them at Pentecost. They begin to uh, be able to speak in languages they didn't know before. They begin to proclaim the gospel. And Jews from around the world hear the gospel. And on that day, 3,000 souls were saved. But Jesus gave a command as well, a promise to those um, apostles, not just the command that they needed to wait for the Holy Spirit to come, but that when the Holy Spirit came, they would be witnesses for him, they would be, but not just in Jerusalem, but in Jerusalem and all Judea, and not only in Jerusalem and all Judea, but they would be witnesses for him in Jerusalem and all Judea, and in Samaria, and in the most part of the world. And so, we saw then at the beginning of the book of Acts, how we're told by Luke how this is beginning to be fulfilled, right? So afterwards, we then have um, Philip go up into the, the Samaria, and then um, Peter goes down to Caesarea. Now, the important thing about Philip going to Samaria is that when he went to Samaria and the Samaritans were getting saved, how was it confirmed? How was it solidified that it actually was true? Does anybody remember? Good job. Go ahead. There you are. Peter and John. Peter and John were sent by the, by the elders, by the apostles, from Jerusalem to Samaria to see what was going on. And Peter laid hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit and began to do things, right? Well, then it's Peter again that God uses to go down into Caesarea and to, to actually give the gospel to the Gentiles proper. And I say Gentiles proper because the Samaritans weren't full Jews. They were like half-breeds, okay? And so, um, so from the Jews, they hated the Gentiles. They would consider almost like Gentiles, but, but they weren't full Gentiles. Gentiles proper, coming into the uttermost part of the world, happened at Caesarea. Peter was sent down to Cornelius, the Roman um, centurion, right? And so he gets saved, and when he gets saved, um, and those who are with him, they begin to speak in other languages, praising God, because we know that based upon the fact that the Jews who were with um, Peter say that the same thing happened to them as happened at Pentecost, right? So, so this goes on, but at the same time, there is this persecution, right, that's going on. And so the gospel begins to be spread, brings about the persecution. I know God, so don't give me the God answer. I know God's behind all that, okay? But specifically on the earth, who was the instrument about bringing this Saul, Saul of Tarsus, okay? And so Saul of Tarsus, Saul's away from here in Tarsus, but he, he spends all his time down in Jerusalem at the feet of Gamaliel, which we read today in our, our Bible um, reading as well that we're going to be looking through. And so he comes and he spends his life in Jerusalem. He's being taught by Gamaliel, and he is he's just avid for, for God. He is on fire for God, and he sees this way, that's what they were called. Christians were called the way. He sees this way as actually an affront to Judaism and, and, and an affront to the God of Judaism. And so he feels like it needs to be exterminated. And so he begins to pursue and to persecute the church in order to exterminate them from the earth because they're vile and they're, they're awful. So in doing so, he actually, what, spreads it, right? Well, he's on his way to Damascus. This is, again, part of our testimony that he's going to share today, right? He's on his way to Damascus, and on his way to Damascus, Jesus appears to him, and he says, Saul, Saul, why are you kicking against the pricks? And he says, well, who are you? And he says, I'm Jesus. And Paul says, and that can't be, because you don't exist. 
I don't believe in you. So, boom, it's gone. He didn't say that. All of a sudden, he gets it. Jesus what? Exists. And he is Messiah, right? And so he says, Lord, what do you want me to do? So we know the rest of the story. So now Paul then changes from being the persecutor of the church to the promoter of the church, right? And God uses him to promote the church, not just in the, the Antioch area and stuff like that, but now through the rest of the Gentile world. At least, and again, I don't have Rome on here because he only goes to the part of Greece. That's what we really have um, in the book of Acts. And so, so Paul now is being used all the way through Macedonia and Greece, and he is on his way back to Jerusalem, okay? And so that's where we pick this thing up. Last week we saw that he was in Tyre and he was in Caesarea, and when he was in Tyre, the people through the Holy Spirit told him not to go to Jerusalem. Right, and then when he was in Caesarea, Agabus, the the prophet, took off it, took Paul's belt, and he bound it around his hands, and he said, "the the person whose belt this is is going to be bound if he goes to Jerusalem, or when he goes to Jerusalem, but if in my brain, okay." And so when he goes there, and so Paul said, and everybody says, "What? Don't go! Don't go! Clearly, it can't be the will of God for you to go there and be bound and to be killed and all this kind of stuff." But Paul says, "Stop it! I'm not only willing to be bound, but I'm willing to die." For the name of Jesus. And so at that moment, we read the next statement. Determining, understanding the will of the Lord be done. We packed our bags and we what? We went. So all those people who were struggling and saying, don't go, said what? We're with you. We're in this all the way. So now they go to Jerusalem. Okay, And so before we talk about the passage coming through it quickly, and we're going to come through it quickly, because again, this is one of these just narratives that we're, going to, we're not going to look at every single detail, okay, as we come through, but pictures are, are important to me. I'm a very um, picture-oriented individual, so we're going to go back to the temple real quick, so that you can kind of picture what's actually happening in this passage. It helps me, so because it helps me, I'm going to give it to you, you got to be helped. So anyways, so this is clearly the, the Temple Mount, okay, and it's amazing that they had photographs back then. Um, but anyways, so if you ever go to, it's a, very, it's a replica. So if you ever go to Jerusalem, there is a, a model that it's outside the city and it's there of first century Jerusalem. There is also a replica. If you ever go down to the Holy, um, Holy Land experience, they have one inside. Okay. So I've been to both of those. Um, the one in Jerusalem is a little bit nicer, but it's the one down in the Holy Land experience is still very good. Okay. So if you ever get to go to Orlando and do the Holy Land experience, it's gone. It's gone. Oh, man. Shows how out of date I am. Well, I was there twice. I loved it. So, oh, well, you missed it. Can't go anymore. I haven't seen that at the Ark Encounter. So, anyways, well, you can talk about it later. Okay. So, anyways, but this is, um, it's a great little tool for us to look at, okay? So, this is the Temple Mount, okay? And so, in the midst of what would have been the city. And so, you can see how much of the city the Temple Mount really took up, how it comprised, okay? It was the centerpiece of the city because God was the centerpiece of his people. Does it make sense? Okay. Up in that upper right-hand corner, that thing that looks like a little castle, is Antonio's Fortress. We'll look at that a little bit more, okay? But this is the place that we're looking at, okay? And down here along the southern side, okay, is Solomon's Porch. This is Solomon's Portico, okay? And this is where they would have met on, at Pentecost, and they were proclaiming the word, okay? So I think we come in a little bit closer. Yep. And so, um, again, I've been here. I've seen all this, been, been there. I think some of you have as well, okay? But this is Solomon's portico and Solomon's porch, okay? And right here where the blue circles are um, in there, those are McVeigh's, or what we would refer to as baptistries, okay? That's where if you were coming up to the temple, and so let me state this as well, Jerusalem is higher, okay? And the temple was built on Mount Moriah, so the highest point. And so when they talk about going up to the temple, that was because they would literally go up to the temple, okay? And so it wasn't necessarily meaning that you're going north, it just meant that you're going, you're ascending, okay? But coming from the south, you were doing both. You were both ascending and you were going up north, right? And so, but that's where you would do your purifications, okay? So before you went into the temple, you would come and you would dip yourself, immerse yourself. Baptizo is the Greek word. You would immerse yourself, 
okay, in the, one of those McVeighs to be, uh, um, uh, oh, my word, ceremonially sanctified before you would enter into the temple, okay? That's also then where the apostles were proclaiming, and that's why Peter says, at the end, they said, what must we do to be saved? And he says, repent and be immersed in the name of Jesus Christ, because the Jews would understand that if you were going to follow the teachings of somebody, that you proclaimed it publicly by being immersed in their name. That's why they came out to the Jordan River to be immersed by John, to be identified with the teachings of John. So the same thing here, that if you're going to be identified with Jesus as Messiah, that you would be immersed in his name. Okay, So that's down here. So they would, they would have been coming up through here Okay, to be purified. When I say them, we're talking about Paul and those other guys. Okay, That's where they would come in. Okay, over here, again, is Antonio's fortress in the yellow. So you can see the, the, the red, the blue, the yellow. Okay, so one more slide. So now we come over to Antonio's fortress, because this plays into it, because Antonio's fortress. How do you get into Antonio's fortress? Not from the temple proper. That wouldn't be good. That wouldn't be kosher. Make sense? They do not want to have the opening from the Gentiles to get into their holy place. Okay, so there's two entrances into Antonio's fortress, one coming from the left, or the east, one coming from the, the, the west, okay? And so this is the western side, this, and, and the green is the eastern side, okay? And so you can kind of see it in that upper picture that's there, the arrow, the blue arrow coming out the western side, the green arrow coming out the eastern side, okay? And so they could have then, and both of them have steps, you can kind of see that, um, and so they could have been carrying them up either one of those steps. I think it was on the western side, okay? And so... Arrows, I love arrows, right? So here we go. I think they came, they dragged them they, up in from the court, okay? They were up here in the court, and they assumed that he had who with him? Trophimus, Trophimus, right? And so he's probably in the court of the Gentiles, okay? But probably not. He might have even came into here, and that's why they had an issue, maybe that he came past the, uh, what, the... Middle wall of separation. Good. Okay. That's exactly right. That's what would have been a major offense. I should have drew my arrow from here. They probably dragged them all the way from here, all the way down around. Okay. And then brought them up. That's when the Romans would, that's why it's red. That's when the Romans would have met them and the Romans would have dragged them the rest of the way. Okay. On up there. And so, so that's when we go through this passage, that's what you got to kind of picture what was going on. Paul's being dragged, beaten. Okay. And so when we get through the beating, Probably that happened over near Robinson's Arch or whatever, over in that, that upper left-hand side. But we don't know exactly where it was at. Somewhere along the line, they drag him out. They're beating on him, trying to kill him. And the Romans got word. So probably people went out this way to get word to them. And they come running around to meet them at the other side. They get Paul. They have no clue who he is. They just know these someone's who they're going to kill rather than let the Jews kill because he's a malefactor causing problems. And so they drag him off. Well, then they find out a little bit different. And we'll talk about that next week even more. Okay, so that's that's where we're at when we uh, as we come looking at this. Okay, so Paul goes to Jerusalem. First thing that happens is he meets with the elders. Okay, and I find this as an amazing thing right off the bat. Look at the wording, how it comes off um, when they go up to Jerusalem. Okay, and I and I'm not going to read into it. I just want you to read it. It makes you it makes makes you pause. Again, details are important how things are worded. Okay. So after those days, we packed and went to Jerusalem. Also, some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us and brought with them a certain Manaus of Cyprus, an early disciple with whom we were to lodge. And when we had come to Jerusalem, the brethren gladly received us. On the following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. In the Greek, it literally puts it that way as well. Paul went in with us. We didn't go in with Paul. Paul went in with us. And I think it's stated that way purposely. And no, I don't want to make a whole lot of that, other than I think to myself, Paul's always in charge. Paul's leading. At this moment, he's what? He's following. Did he drag his feet a little bit to go see James? I don't know. Just kind of an interesting thing. Just kind of, I, I don't have an answer there, and I don't want to make a, a statement on it, other than I find it very interesting with what's going to come ahead down the, in, in just a moment, okay? So, so that kind of goes in my brain, okay? So he, he puts a report, 
um, regarding what God has done among the Gentiles. The elders receive it with great joy, and they, they, they worship the Lord based upon what God is doing among the Gentiles. That's very brief. It's like Paul shares, they go, that's great, but now we want to tell you something. And so I don't know if it was that short, of, but that's kind of how it's presented. It's like, you know, Paul says, here's what God's doing, and they're like, okay, that's good. All right, now we've got to tell you something, okay? And that is, what are we going to tell you? Well, the people are hearing bad things about you. Myriad of the Jews have believed. Thousands of Jews have, have believed. But they are also zealous for the law. The Jews are zealous for the law. And they hear concerning you that you're teaching not just Gentiles, but even the Jews to not baptize or, or not baptize, not circumcise their kids, to go against the law, and that circumcision is meaningless. Now you gotta stop and ask yourself the question: is Paul doing it? Was Paul actually teaching that? Partially, yes. Because he's, as we know from the book of Romans, right? That we can read this stuff after the fact, right? So we can read the book of Romans, that physical circumcision is what? Unnecessary. It's meaningless. What needs to happen? You need to be circumcised in your heart. But we're never specifically told any place where Paul says, and so therefore the Jews ought not to circumcise their children. Rather, what have we seen about Paul prior to this moment? So in our study of Acts, what have we seen Paul do? He followed the law. At least he, he had another Nazaretic vow that he fulfilled, right? And because he cut off his hair in Sancria, and he went to Jerusalem in order to fulfill that laws, the, the vow as well, okay? So, so we're not positive how it's playing out, but sometimes accusations can be made, right? And word of mouth does what? They spread them. Years ago, I heard story, not real, so I'll state that, but of a man who was speaking against a pastor, and, um, and causing much problems. And so then he was convicted, and he came to the pastor, and the pastor said, I'll forgive you, but I want you to do this one thing for me. I want you to take a feather pillow, and I want you to go downtown to the main intersection, and I want you to rip it open. So he said, okay. So he takes a feather pillow, and he goes downtown, and he rips it wide open, and the feathers spew out in every place, and he goes back and says, okay, I've done it. He says, okay, one more thing you got to do. I want you to go pick up all the feathers. Oops. We can look at others and the false accusations they made against Paul. But we've got to be careful of our words. Because once you say something, it starts to what? It starts to spread. And we can look at others and we can point fingers at them and say, oh man, I can't believe it. But i got to ask, do I do the same things? So we've got to be careful of our words. So, that's what's happening against him. So this is what they heard. And so it's in the church now. These are believing Jews who have heard what you've done. And they're like, this is going to be interesting the first time we have this church service, this gathering, and you're there. I'm not quite sure how it's going to go. Okay? Could you kind of imagine that? Right? And so, so here's our recommendation. Here's what we want you to do. We want you to take these other four guys who are ready to be um, consecrated from their vows and we want you to pay their, their fines, their duties, their, their fees, okay, um, when they go. Now, according to the law, what were those fees? Does anybody know? What was he going to be paying for? Pur purification rights, but what, but what were they? Does anybody know? What did they do? Well, shave their head, there's no cost to that. Sacrifices. They had offerings. They had offerings that they also gave then at the end. And so what they're basically asking Paul is, because in this day, since they weren't necessarily all agrarian, right, they weren't bringing in their own lambs and cows and that kind of stuff, they would go to the temple, and this is where Jesus was, was overturning the money changers and that kind of stuff, right? You would go to the temple, 
and you would buy your sacrifice, okay? And so they would charge you the prime rate. Make sense? In other words, you bought it down in Bethlehem and brought it with you, you wouldn't have to pay as much. But they were the original capitalists. You're buying into the temple? <laughs> we got you, okay? So Paul's going to have to buy all these things. And so this is coming from the elders. So I want you to think about this. The elders are recommending this to Paul. Now, last week, as we talked about the will of the Lord being done, right? And everybody's saying to Paul, don't go, don't go, don't go. This can't be the will of the Lord. Don't go, don't go. And Paul says, ah, stop it. I'm not willing to go and be bound. I'm also willing to die, right? At that moment, what did everybody else do? Literally, what did they do? What did the people, the, the people that were with Paul, what did they do when Paul says, stop it? I'm, I'm not only willing to be bound, but I'm also willing to die for Jesus. What did they do? Well, that was in, in Tyre. They went out and on the beach and they prayed together. Okay. What did they do, Steve? They stopped. Okay, they stopped. So keep going. They went with them. So take the stop and taking the going. Bring it into one word. They sub, they submitted. Submission. Remember we talked about it. They submitted to his authority. At that moment, he made the decision, and all debate ended. They submitted. Now Paul, the big guy, the head honcho, is in the midst of the elders, and the elders are saying to him what? Here's what we want you to do. Paul now has a decision to make. Remember, I don't know why Paul's tentative, maybe or maybe I'm reading into it too much or whatever, but I'm thinking tentative of even going before the elders. And now the elders are saying, here's what we want you to do. We want you to pay for these guys and that kind of stuff. And da 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 Paul could turn around and say, wait, I'm an itinerant preacher. I don't have a whole lot of money. What are you guys thinking of? Why don't you guys pay for it? Why don't you pay for mine? I mean, that would be kind of a Christian thing to do, wouldn't it? I'm the, I'm, I'm the missionary coming into town. You ought to be taking up a collection and paying for my offering. But you want me to turn around and pay for the offering of all these other guys. So what does Paul do? He submits. He submits. Paul submits to the authority of the elders of this moment. We don't read any debate at all. I could come up with a lot of debates. Paul doesn't debate it. I think Paul already is planning on going to the temple for this purification. Again, that's my conjecture. I have no proof of that. But I think he's going back to Jerusalem. That's what's compelling him to go, is that compelling him to go, is that he's made a vow to God. And it doesn't matter what awaits for him in Jerusalem. He's going and he's going to fulfill his vow to God. And so I think he took a Nazareth vow and I think he's going to purify himself anyway. And I think that's the whole idea. So take these four guys with you and, and you go with them and pay for theirs. Okay? So, purification at the temple. So they go, and Paul submits to the elders, but Paul as well, in this submission to the elders, is submitting then to the, the law as well. And I think it's important for us to see, because again, of what Paul is being accused of, okay? There is submission to the law. Does anybody know what the new covenant is? Remember, the church is built upon the, the foundation of the new covenant, right? We're, we're, we're part of the new covenant. So what's the new covenant? What's it literally state? Jeremiah 31, 31. What's the state? Come on, you guys. If you're part of the New Covenant, you ought to know. You ought to know. You signed the fine print. I mean, this is like a, you, you got a contract, and, you, you know, and, and the company comes back and says, and by the way, we take your car after 60 days. What? What? Well, we put that contract out for you to read it, and you chose not to read it. You just signed it. And so now the car is ours because we have your signature on that, on this, on that contract. So what's your contract? You got a contract with God. You asked him into your heart, so you became a part of the new covenant. What is it? Ah, but it's law. Actually, it's not just the spirit. The spirit will be, be in them. But he says, I'll write my, my law upon your hearts, put them in your mind, and write them upon your hearts. His law isn't gone. Paul never says the law has been necessarily abolished. Jesus didn't say the law was abolished. He said he came to fulfill the law, okay? Now, I'm not going to get into the law, and you've got to keep the law. Clearly, we know from Acts 15, that's not what the, what the Gentiles are supposed to do. You understand? But the law 
specific for the Jews, wasn't totally gone. There's still a purpose for it. So Paul is doing this Nazaritic vow. Can I, can I tell you this? I'm not telling you you need to take a Nazaritic vow and cut off your hair and that kind of stuff, and yada, 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 okay? And go through all that. But consider what a Nazaritic vow is. It'd be really good for you to do that sometime. Okay? And I'm not saying you've got to cut off your hair at the end of it. But it's setting yourself apart to God. It's setting yourself from self-pleasures in reading his word and spending time in it, okay, that you're going to be dedicated to God for this period of time. That's what our weeks of prayer and fastings are all about. To try to encourage you. To set aside your life at that moment and be consecrated fully unto God. Setting aside whether if you want to fast, if you want to fast everything, if you want to do whatever. Anyways, the whole point is that you're totally focused on God and growing in his grace and knowledge. Those concepts aren't gone in the church. Much of what we do is built upon the foundation of that. So Paul does this. And so Paul submits not only to the elders, he submits then to the to law as well. And they go to the, to the temple in order to fulfill this legal binding thing in the law. Okay, And so they're going to have their sacrifices. But note the details that are given to us. Because when the people come to grab them, they're coming when there's still seven days left. So what they have done at this moment is that they've gone to the temple to present themselves that the end of their time was coming. And now they're going to take another additional seven days to be totally purified. And at the end of those seven days, they'll offer their sacrifices. Okay? That's according to the law. So he's fulfilling all these details of the law. Well, we know what happens, right? Um, so, yeah, he, com- he completes it. So I went through that. We got the Jews now come. The Jews come and they grab them, okay, while they're in the temple. But note the Jews that grab him, okay, have the false accusation, right? They see him there, so they recognize him, and they they make this accusation that this man who all everywhere um, teaches all men everywhere against the people, the law in this place. Think about that. That they're stating that Paul teaches against the Jews, against the law, and against the temple. True statement. Not at all. Not, not at all. Not even a little bit, okay? And so that's a false accusation, okay? But false accusations can stand if they're not what? if they're not refuted with truth, and they're not put down, okay? So this guy makes an inflammatory, these people make an inflammatory statement, okay? And then they add onto it, they, they throw gas now onto it, right? And they say, and furthermore, he also brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. Now, how can they make that statement? Well, later, er, er, later, earlier in the city, they had seen him walking along with Trophimus, who they recognized as a Gentile from Ephesus, okay? And so they just assumed based upon what they believed about him, that he had just brought Trophimus right into the temple. And again, as we talked about that middle wall partition, that he would have taken him then further past that into it. Because it wouldn't have been okay. It would have been okay if he was in the, temp- the court of the Gentiles. It would not be okay if he was in the further court. So what happens? They drag him. They grab him. Don't you wonder where, what happened to all the rest of the guys? Yes, that's exactly right. And so Paul's going to say in one of his letters later that at his first at his first hearing, when it was first happened, everybody deserted me except for, and then he goes going to go on. So at this moment, Paul's going to start feeling this whole separation. One of the things I didn't talk about in the in my um, introduction that I meant to bring out that for Paul, this is going to be a big a, a full cycle moment, okay? Because when he started out in Jerusalem, he was the favorite son. He was out destroying the church. But now he's going to be the notorious criminal number one. He's going to be the the hated and vile individual. And so here he is. He's in the place that he adored, the temple. And now he's being dragged out. And everybody is going to flee from him. Who's it sound like? Jesus. Yeah. Not necessarily on the cross yet, but at the garden. Yeah, yeah, get sent me and being taken. Okay, it's amazing sometimes that God allows us to experience things in order for us to really get to know Him. 
Paul's, one of Paul's greatest prayers that we read in Philippians chapter 3 is that I may what? Know him. That I may know him in the power of his resurrection. And in the, what? The fellowship of his sufferings. And if by any means I might um, to his, uh, conform to his death. Not as though I already attained either were already perfect, but this one thing I do, forgetting the things which are behind and reaching forward to the things before, I pressed toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of Christ Jesus. He says, look, this is my desire. Not just to know the power of the resurrection, but also to understand the fellowship of the sufferings. Well, guess what he's getting? You know, we, answer the prayer, you know what? We say, I want to know him, I want to know him, but would you really willing to honestly say that, that you really want to know him in the power of the resurrection, and you want to know him in the fellowship of sufferings, or honestly, in our hearts, and you don't have to answer this out loud, okay? Do we really say, I want to know you in the power of the resurrection? Stop! Because I really don't want to know you in what? In sufferings, because I don't want sufferings. But I can tell you from my own life, and not to the extent of Paul, but you get to learn a whole lot about God and about Christ and his love for you through sufferings. When those that you thought were your friends desert you and you hear them crying, crucify him, crucify him. And yet you love them. It's hard. Paul's learning a lot through this thing, right? So he's got this false accusation, okay? And then you got the beating. (laughs) <laughs> I, I, can't, I, I, can't, I, I can't even just imagine what's... They're probably kicking them from this point. They're grabbing them, and, they're, and they're, they're, they're dragging them, and there's this mob scene, right? I mean, if you ever... Again, we talked about in Ephesus, great is the goddess Diana, right? And da 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 and all this thing's going on, and nobody even knows what they're, what they're arguing over, but they just know this is all happening, and they're having a good beating down of this one guy, and we don't even know who it is, but we're going to join in on it. Let's kick him and kill him and all this kind of stuff. We haven't had a good stoning since Stephen. Let's do this. And so, so they're dragging this guy out, and they're, and they're beating on him. Could you imagine being Paul at this moment? People kicking you, dragging you, pushing you, pulling your hair, whatever was left. I don't know if he had already cut it off. I think he wouldn't cut it off for another seven days. But anyways, so all this, if he's doing the the Nazaritic vow, his hair is probably a little bit longer at this moment anyway. And so all this is going on, okay? I mean, just put it all in there. And so you saw the potential, how how long of of this was going on, okay? Down steps around the the side. Word gets to the, the Romans, right? And so they seize him and try to kill him. Well, then you got the quote, I wanted to put deliverance in quote unquote. Because now you have his deliverance. So think about it. the Romans come to deliver him. What do they do? <laughs> Put him in chains. They grab the guy. He's, I mean, he's being, being kicked. He's being beaten. We, I, mean, he's, I mean, we don't know how close to death he is at this very moment. Okay, This is really an astounding thing for me when he goes and he stands up and he, and he wants to teach. Okay, I mean, does he have bruised ribs? Cracked ribs? Broken ribs? Broken other legs. I mean, is he sore every place? I mean, think about how you'd feel. And Paul's not a, a, a young cookie anymore, okay? And so, so he's beaten up. And the Romans come, and they grab him, and they put him in chains. And they're dragging him, because, again, if you're putting chains, it's kind of hard to just walk really well. And everybody's still poking at you and, and flailing at you and crying out, he deserves to die! Kill him! Let him die! And they get to the steps, whichever steps it is, they couldn't get him up because of the Jews that were there. So how do they get him up? Does anybody remember? They lifted him. It was like the human wave. Okay? So could you imagine, again, I mean, this isn't an exciting moment. You're not at a football game, you know, and, and all this kind of stuff. Woohoo! You know, you've already been beaten, and, and you've probably got blood all over you and this kind of stuff, and you've got chains all around you, and you're being dragged. Maybe by the chains? I don't know how they're doing, you know, and, and, and pulling you up. And I, so... Again, I like to try to picture this guy. I'm, I'm visual and I try to picture how's this playing out. You know, as he get up here and he recognizes the centurion, you know, he recognizes who's there, and is he looking down, saying, and all of a sudden he speaks Greek, uh, Greek to the guy, and he says, "Hey, can I say something?" <laughs> you know, I mean, all this is going on, and he's got the the mentality of, of, of talking, right? So this beating, I mean, he's being beat to death, y'all. Okay, and so then we get to his present his proclamation of his defense so he says can i talk and you can kind of see the roman guy just kind of stop for a moment because he asked earlier 
when he got there, when he arrested him, who is this guy? And what did he get? Mixed in. That's good. That's right. Mixed answer. He got everything thrown in there, right? He might have got part of the truth. He might have got this as Paul of Tarsus. Who knows, right? But he's got everything. I think probably the thing he blows out here is one of the things he just heard. Well, aren't you the Ethiopian or the Egyptian who caused all these problems? You know? And Paul looks at him incredulously. He's like, uh, no, that's not me. <laughs> you know? And you, you heard you want to go through the whole litany of everybody else's accusations? That's not me. It's not me. That's not me. It's not me. Anyways, and so I am Paul of Tarsus of the province of Cilicia. At this moment, he's speaking. And I think this is a mind-boggling thing because this guy doesn't know yet that he is a Roman citizen. We'll get there next week. But he affords Paul, based upon the fact that he can speak Greek, the privilege of addressing the people. Did you ever think about that? I mean, he just had to grab this guy and drag him. Everybody wants to kill him. But he's willing to let this guy talk to the audience. So Paul then goes from speaking Greek to speaking Hebrew. Don't you wonder what the Romans are now thinking? Oh, man, that's not right. And I don't even know what you're saying. Okay. But everybody else does. In the minute he says shalom or whatever, he's, however he started off with, right? Shalom Israel or, or let's see, Shema Israel. Maybe he starts off with, with the Shema, right? Shema Israel. Everybody just stops, you know? And, and, and they listen because the guy's speaking Hebrew because they don't know who they got. They just joined in the good mob, right? And a lot of these people are, are the ones giving the accusations that, well, he's the Egyptian, he's this, he's that. They haven't got a clue who they got. And now they're filled with wonder. This guy speaks what? Hebrew. Huh. And they're listening to him. And so he begins to present his credentials. He tells them who he is. Because they don't know who he is. Who is he? I, am, I was born... In Tarsus of Cilicia, I was brought up at the feet of Gamaliel. I'm a, I'm a Jew's Jew. I'm a, I, I mean, I was there. So Philippians chapter 3, you can see I have it up there. If you read Philippians 3, it's his pedigree. I was, I was circumcised on the eighth day. I was born of the stock of, of Benjamin, of the, of, of the tribe, of the stock of Israel, the, the tribe of Benjamin. I was, I was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. Concerning the law, I persecuted the church. This is kind of what he's telling these people. Look, I've done all these things. This is who I am. In fact, I persecuted the way. And I was the guy who was going to Damascus to bring them back. Oh, I think we've heard of that guy. Could you imagine being in the audience? I think I remember that guy. You're that guy. Oh, I didn't know that. You're that guy. But while I was going there, while I was going there, I heard this voice. Now, what would you be telling the people at this moment? Would you be giving them your full testimony? That's what Paul's doing. While I was going, I heard this voice. Paul, Saul, Saul, why are you kicking against pricks? Who who are you? I'm Jesus of Nazareth, whom you're persecuting. Whoa. Whom I'm persecuting? I'm I'm not persecuting you. Yeah, you're persecuting me. When you persecute my people, you're persecuting me, right? And so he says to him, he says, I'm Jesus of Nazareth, who you are persecuting. So he says, what shall I do, Lord? He says, arise, go to Damascus. And since I could not see for the glory of the light being, the hand was upon me, I came into Damascus. I was being led into Damascus. He says, I couldn't see. I was blinded. And so I went in there, and, and, and God sent this prophet Agabus to me, I'm sorry, um, Ananias to me, right? And Ananias came. He was a devout man according to the law. Why do you think he added that? Because he was a Jew talking to who? Jews. And it was important for them to understand that he was what? He was legit, but he was a law-abiding Jew. And all this happened according to the law. Do you get it? Okay, this is very important, okay? That all this was legit according to the law. And so this, this lawful guy, righteous man according to the law, he came and he, and he healed me. And I got my sight at that moment. Then he transitions to his ministry. 
That's when it gets fun. Because now he's going to tell them what God has for them. In Ananias' words first, that God has a special plan for you, right? You will be a witness to all men of what you've seen and heard. That sounds okay so far. Because for the Jews, they don't consider the Gentile people. Okay? They're a lower class, so they weren't, were not real people. That's why, when you, like again, if you ever saw um, Fiddle on the Roof, um, Golda says to Modal after they have the baby, you're a person. You're a person. You've made it to the, to the status of being a person. For the Jew, the Gentile was not a person. They were just dogs. So when they heard this, that he would be going out to all men, probably a lot of them didn't even what? They weren't equating Gentiles yet. They're just thinking, okay, fine, you're taking it to all the Jews all over the place. Okay? But then he continues on. He says, now it happened when I returned to Jerusalem and I was praying in the temple. I was in a trance and I saw him, that is Jesus, saying to me, make haste to get out of Jerusalem quickly for they will not receive your testimony concerning me. And he says, and, and I'm not going through all the details, but he says, oh, but Lord, they know my testimony. They know all this kind of stuff. He says, no, no, get out of there. He says, because I will send you far from here to the deplorable world. The Gentiles, the, the deplorable word. If you ever did any of the Narnias, if you listened, ever watched, read or listened to The Magician's Nephew, um, you'll know that Charn was destroyed by the deplorable word. For the Jews, there was a deplorable word. And the deplorable word was Gentile. And everything was good. Everything's okay. We can deal with this. Uh, this Jewish, you know, Jesus being Jewish Messiah, I'm not quite sure yet, but I'm willing to listen. Until you said that what? That he's going to send you to the Gentiles. That the Gentiles can become joint heirs with us. Now we have problems. Isn't that kind of interesting? Again, we went back a couple weeks ago, probably about a month ago, a month and a half ago now, when we took, went through Ephesus, and we talked about mob mentality and how we see it in our culture and, and, and how things happened. Isn't it interesting how people can listen to you? And you can have an interesting conversation until you get to the deplorable word. Jesus. Jesus becomes a deplorable word today for us. And the minute you want to say something about salvation or whatever, all of a sudden things what? They shut down. They break down. In fact, for some people, they can become very vehemently against you. I've watched it. It's just, it's sad to me. That we can have these great conversations, intellectual conversations, but you get to the deplorable word, which is the precious word for us. But the minute you want to talk about Jesus, you're a bigot. In the mob mentality ensues once more. Away with him. He's not fit to live. Does that ring true? Does that sound familiar to today? It's where we're at, y'all. Paul was willing to go to Jerusalem. I don't know whether he knew in detail everything was going to happen to him. I don't think Paul probably, or God probably opened up the, the ball and, and said, look, here's what's going to happen all the way through there. But he knew, based upon the testimony that was being given to him the whole way through, that persecution awaited for him when he got to Jerusalem. But he was willing to do it for the name of Jesus. And even in the midst of it, even in the midst of being beaten and dragged, torn asunder, his full thought was, these people need to hear about Jesus. That he could ask, he's not looking forward to getting into the barracks to get out of this thing, to clear his name. But rather, he's going to heap on more accusation, if you think about it. He's just going to prove that he's that guy, right? What would you do? What would you talk about? If you're being arrested for your testimony, that would be a positive thing if you're being arrested for your testimony. But would you shut down? There was a man years ago who killed 
um, an abortionist in Florida. This is many, 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 many years ago. Um, and he declared that he had a word of God um, and that he had, it was acting as injustice on behalf of God because the abortionist was a murderer. Um, and so God had called upon him to be the toll of justice and to kill him. I don't know where you go with that one, and I don't really care where you go with it, but I'm going to assume for a moment he heard a word from the Lord, and he was acting as a prophet, a modern-day prophet, and he did what God wanted him to do, just for the sake of our conversation right now, okay? So assume for a moment that's true. If it's true, what should he then do? Be willing to suffer the consequences and proclaim the truth the whole way through. He got into the, spent a couple days in jail, and all of a sudden, the, the, uh, he turned and began to proclaim that it was temporary insanity. Because he wanted to save his own neck. Now, I'm not judging him. Does it make sense? That's between him and God. But what's it do his testimony? It's gone. It's tanked. Now, I don't, again, I don't know whether he heard the word or he didn't hear the word and all that kind of, I'm not even going to debate all that. But just based upon the evidence straight out, does it make sense? It makes even those who want to be in his corner question his corner. What would you do if you're Paul? It's a challenge for me because I don't like pain. I don't run toward pain. I, Military-wise, I don't know if you ever saw the movie Glory where you talk, the, the, um, it was a Negro um, unit, Massachusetts unit, and they were going against McMaltry, I think it is, and they needed a unit that was going to go, and they knew that their unit was going to die. It was a sacrifice. But they needed someone to do it in order for them to be the, the first in the line to charge, in order for them to be able to finally break through the wall. And then it would just be a wave of, of humanity coming. They volunteered for it, knowing they would die. Would you volunteer to go tell people Jesus about Jesus knowing you were going to die? One last illustration, and then we'll go to our closing points. There was a tribe in Africa. They were headhunters. Cannibals. Missionaries went. They died. They were eaten. Replacements went. They died. They were eaten. Replacements went with their caskets. And they carried their caskets off the boat with them. Isn't that something to think about? And when the villagers asked, what are these? They said, this is what we're reading after you guys kill us. Do you know what happened? The village got saved. Because it was important enough to what? To die for. Are you willing to die for the name of Jesus? I hope it doesn't happen in our lifetime. But I don't want to be the kings who say, well, as long as it doesn't happen in my lifetime, I don't care if it happens in my kid's lifetime or my grandkid's lifetime, as long as it doesn't happen in my lifetime. It may happen in my lifetime. I think it will. And you can see I got gray hair. It's around the corner. We need to be ready to take a stand. And if you can't take a stand now, when the persecution is not the hardest, when will you take the stand? So in the end, what are you willing to suffer for the name of Jesus? How would you describe your level of submission to the dictates of the Lord? Or better yet, how would the Lord describe your submission to his dictates? Are you prepared to give a defense to anyone who asks you a reason for the hope that's in you? Is there then a need to change the way you think and therefore change the way you act? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for the testimony of Paul. Lord, we know that Paul wasn't perfect. He didn't make the right decisions probably everywhere, but he was committed to you. He was bold for your name. And he trusted you entirely and completely in that he was willing even to go to his death, which he ultimately did for your glory, for your name. 
Lord, I pray that you would help each one of us to, to desire to run the race, to stand against evil, knowing, Lord, that the victory ultimately is yours. There is nothing that man can do to us that you haven't allowed through the sieve of your love and protection. Help us to magnify you. Help us to glorify you at all times and in all things. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.